Hey there, AJ Cordero here, a co-host on the Hockey Flow. I've been podcasting since 2007, and I've seen many changes over the years. But the best one has been the introduction of Anchor. And here's why. It's because it's easy and it's free. Seriously, I've spent so much time, money, and effort to get something at this level back in the day. Now, with a push of a few buttons, all that time, money, and energy are spent producing the show rather than distributing it. Now, you might not think you need a podcast, and hey, maybe you don't. But don't think of a podcast just as a way to get your news, sports, and entertainment fixes. It can be a way to tell your family's stories, shine a light on your hobbies and communities, go in-depth for a love of your team, or discuss how to change the world. The possibilities are limitless. Anchor provides creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They also distribute your podcast so you can be heard on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and every player that supports an RSS feed. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum requirement on the size of your audience. Don't waste a second. Download the free Anchor app on your smartphone today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it. Seriously. The world is waiting to hear your story. This is The Hockey Flow. It's an amazing new show that brings Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico directly to your podcast platform of choice. And today is Wednesday, August the 26th. You're probably going to get this on the 27th. I hope you're doing okay. My name is Agent Cordero. I run the board and I run the show in the background. But really, the key pieces are Adam, who can be found at really Adam B on Twitter. And of course, ScrimmageAndStats.com's Marco D'Amico. And you can find his work at The Hockey Expert on Twitter. Let's get right into it. We have a lot of an action-packed episode. First round is always in the rearview mirror. The Habs hopes of a playoff push are in the rearview mirror. But what is new, and actually happened yesterday, we were talking about this, and there's some news that actually broke just a couple minutes ago, is the Kapanen trade to Pittsburgh. So Leafs say goodbye to Kapanen, and he heads over to the Penguins. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Adam, because you were the first one who brought this to our attention. So let's uh, let's hear your thoughts first. So Kapanen goes back home where he was drafted. Um... I think it's a great trade for both teams, especially for, well, I mean, Pittsburgh, where is he going to slot in? First line, second line, next to Crosby, next to Malkin. Who knows? Um, I do find it interesting, though, that that's the move Dubas uh, decided to pull off, uh, given that Kapanen was on a fairly team-friendly deal at 3.5-ish, if you want to, if I'm not sure if Marco has the exact numbers, but 3.5. or something? Yeah, so uh, no, I think uh, that's a great deal for both teams. I think I don't think the Leafs are done yet, and I'll throw it over to you, Marco. Since when do third line wingers get first round picks? Top fifteen first round picks, like I masterclass trade by Kyle Dubis. Um, so the full trade, from what I remember, was uh, Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look at it, but uh, Kasperi Kapanen was the main piece going to uh, Pittsburgh, and then we also had um, a first-round pick, uh, a fringe defenseman, um, and Evan Rodriguez, who was a restricted free agent. Um, this is obviously a cap-clearing move for the Leafs, an excellent cap-clearing move, if you ask my opinion. I <laughs> People were laughing at the fact that they gave a first-round pick to get rid of $6.5 million on the Patrick Marlowe contract, but... Uh, Jim Rutherford gave a 15th overall pick to get Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, so that's pretty confusing to me. 
obviously, they get a good second to third line winger with speed uh, that will help their PK and give them a bunch uh, a jump on their third line. I think that that's what they were missing a lot uh, with secondary scoring beyond their top six uh, during the playoffs versus Montreal. And I feel like this is a fit for them long term as well. I feel like Kapanen fits in. I feel like Rutherford knows the Kapanen family a little too well. Drafted his father, traded his father, drafted Kasperi Kapanen, traded Kasperi Kapanen, traded for Kasperi Kapanen. (laughs) So clearly Rutherford likes his Kapanens uh, and decided to go and get back his cap. Um, Personally speaking, I think this is a landslide win for for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't care who they drafted 15. Uh, I think that player is going to be better than Kasperi Kapanen. And so to me, this is a no-brainer. Uh, they save potentially $3 million if they don't qualify Rodriguez and they get a first-round pick out of it. This is classic winning. And in a flat-cap era to boot, it's extremely rare. And I, you got to tip your hat to Kyle Dubas. Some questionable trades last summer, but this one, spot on. And this trade came about because of the Phil Kessel trade back yeah. in the day, right? So Is that the right? First round, one of the, it was a captain and a first-round pick, a second-round pick, uh, and some odd. Uh, the first-round pick was then uh, packaged with a second-round pick for uh, Frederick Anderson. Um, so, and, and Frederick Anderson is apparently on the block as well now. So there's that. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of moving parts for the Leafs. Not exactly the players you thought that they were going to be moving. Everybody kind of thought it would be either a Marner or a Nylander. Uh, it seems to be everything else. Uh, as reported by Sportsnet today, it seems to be Anderson, seems to be Janssen, Engvall, uh, and Anderson, surprisingly enough. Uh, I don't quite know that they're going to get better at that price than Anderson at five point uh, at $5 million a year. Uh, but I also think they see the writing on the walls in the sense that they need a long-term solution in net. Don't be surprised if they trade Anderson for futures and go after Holtby, an unrestricted free agency. I'm going to also um, bring up the point, another big story that's happened right now, and that was the firing of Tart Reardon from the Washington Capitals. Uh, so this was a strange situation, I mean, two years ago when we saw Barry Trotz lift the cup with the team and then proceeded to ask for a raise and they promoted the top assistant Todd Reardon to his position. Now, there were plans in place. I'm sure you guys are going to elaborate on that. But I think two first round exits were pretty clear of where this was heading and they were they were. They were quick and decisive in making that decision. They didn't want to wait, and wait another year. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Marco. What were your impressions of this whole I think move? it makes sense. I think if Steve Sullivan wasn't the coach that had won the two cups for Pittsburgh, he'd also have gotten the axe. I mean, all his assistant coaches did anyway. Um, I think it applies for Todd Reardon as well. I feel like the Capitals have an elite core uh, and they don't have much time. I think Ovechkin's got like two years left on his deal. Um, so... You know, the time is of the essence. This is what they're going to do. I fully expect Washington to trade their first round pick for some help going forward. Uh, and I honestly see either Gerard Gallant or Peter Laviolette showing up as the head coach next year. Ooh, Laviolette would be a nice, nice addition to that team. Ooh. Uh, I mean, I, I guess, Adam, do you, are you already starting to think about that? Or are you still a little bit sort of... Well, how are you feeling about this? I mean, it's it's a strange situation, but it feels like Marco was saying it was the right move. Yeah, I feel it was it was the right move for the Capitals. Now it's just interesting to see who they're going to bring in. Um, as Marco said, they have like they still have an elite core group of players, but their window's closing fast. Uh, I would put them in the same category as Pittsburgh, where they have those two, three big players up front that are aging. And yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see who they bring in. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be the sixth 
head coach uh, since Ovi came in. Possible. Yeah. And I don't think, I'm just trying to think. Fifth, I think. Fifth. Fifth or sixth, yeah. yeah something like yeah, that. There was, like, there was Boudreaux, Trotz, Reardon. I forget who was the first coach. Uh, the, the first coach when he I came in. I think Boudreaux but... ha- came twice. No, possible. Mm. I don't think yeah. so. I think Boudreaux went from mm. Washington to Anaheim to Minnesota. But just jumping back here, so McLennan is the GM over here. He's got a lot of decisions to make. I mean, obviously the big ones would be. I mean, Braden Holtby. He's a UFA uh, at the end of this at uh, the a, summer. I think it's a foregone I mean, conclusion. <laughs> I think, yeah, no kidding. But I mean, so do you think that this is just good off ice action just to get the team unpropelled in the right direction? New vision, new settings, new fresh re- reboot, so to speak? Or is it just like, no, we're get, we got this under control. There's a couple of things that we need to fix, but we're on the right direction. I feel like Reardon gets out coached a lot. I think that's the thing. I feel like Barry Trotz just played him completely. It also helps the Barry Trotz coach the team he was playing against. He knows all of their weaknesses. I don't know, you know, but mm-hmm. you can also look back to last year and see how Barry Trotz had his team shut down the Penguins, too. So he knows how to shut down star players and great coaches are able to create game plans and turn things around. You want a direct example? We're going to talk about it later. But if you look at Travis Green in Vancouver, look at how they got destroyed in game one and how he changed his game plan around, swapped his lines around, inserted Toffoli and was able to counter uh, what what Deborah was doing in Vegas? So they need a coach like that. Well, man, that's just good. That's a, yeah, it's coach. That's the coaching that I guess every yeah. franchise wants, right? Just to be able to to assess the needs and redress those needs. You mentioned before Laviolette and of course Jarek Alon, but some of the other names that have been bandied about have been hell Mike no. Babcock and of course. Uh, <laughs> I know you're gonna hell no. I'm just I'm just yeah. saying what's been said. So Babcock was obviously that five point eight seven five million contract. I'm sure that runs all the way till 2023. <laughs> something like that. I'm sure he doesn't want to leave that alone. Um, but uh, what about the floor? Um, John Stevens, for example, who's uh, the assistant coach at Dallas. Could he be on the radar as well? Honestly, if I I think they're done promoting assistants. I think they're going to go and get a top end coach to match their top end core. Period. So you you think it's down between Galan and Lavielle? I think Babcock doesn't fit. Uh, They got a lot of young guys. Uh, They already have structure. I feel like it's just a question of game plan, matchups, and motivation. And honestly, Gerard Galan to me is, is 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 the fit, the perfect fit. For this team, I don't know what you think, Adam, but if you look at Gerard Gallant run teams, they're well oiled machines. Um, so we'll see what we can do, but uh, I honestly think this is the way for Washington. So, uh, well, I mean, Adam, do you want to add anything else before we start going through I the have second to agree. round? I think Gallant would be the, the greatest fit for the, the organization, and I, I really don't see Babcock fitting and, and like in any way, shape, or form with. Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov. I just don't see it happening. I think Babcock's holding out for Seattle. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Ooh, no, there's a delicious idea. <laughs> well, I mean, it's. I think it's a pretty safe bet to make, actually, especially be the first coach of a brand new franchise. I think it's legacy oh, written absolutely. right all over, and that's, that definitely attracts attracted to a guy like Babcock. Yeah. There's no question of that. Um, but Gallon is like, uh, I think when you think of a guy from Summerside PEI who just, you know, knows about building up a team from the ground up and young players, um, I think it's just going to be so exciting to mm-hmm. see what happens next. I mean, uh, Marco, you remember his time from the St. John's yeah, Sea Dogs, I remember right? him so, I mean, during the height uh, in 2011 with uh, Nathan Beaulieu, uh, Zach Phillips, Jonathan Huberdeau. Um, that was a pretty solid team. Thomas Yurko, 
Uh, that was a very solid team. And ultimately, only one went on to be a real superstar NHL player. So, like, he was able to t- get the best out of junior players, just like he was able to get the best out of Montreal Canadiens players when he was assistant, just like he was able to get the best out of the Florida Panthers when they gave him the opportunity to, and just like he was able to get the best out of his Vegas players while he still could. So, in my opinion, I think they're doing the right thing. They'd be doing the right thing in, in having Gallant. Uh, I am dumbfounded, absolutely floored that Lindy Ruff was able to get the head coaching job over Peter LaViolette and Gerard Gallant in New Jersey, but that's New Jersey and we'll get to that later. Um, I think Washington would be silly to pass up on, on a guy like Gallant. Certainly. And the man from Summerside PEI, which if you don't know anything about Summerside PEI, it's beautiful in the summer, but in the winter, it could be quite the snowstorm. One might say an avalanche, and that brings us conveniently to my next point, which is the Colorado Avalanche and their series versus the Dallas Stars. Uh, very key question about the goal review that we're going to have to discuss there. You made uh, a marathon joke about the avalanche and didn't include Nate McKinnon? Shame! Oh, goddamn, you're Shame. so right! Okay, well, I... Well, first of all, PI is not P. Nova I Scotia, all right? And I love me. <laughs> shame for yeah, shame. But I didn't want to connect it to Nova Scotia. They have the Dartmouth, same area right? code. I, I, Who oh. cares? It's a joke. Yeah, that's only because there's nobody uh, there. Well, I love you guys in PI. Just like... <laughs> Before anybody I, okay, from the listen, Maritimes gives me shit, I can make these jokes. I lived in the Maritimes every summer for 15 he, he years. He did live I in the Maritimes. street from Hammond's Plains from Brad Marchand. So, like... Mar- Marco's a legit Maritimer, and I love nothing but love for the Maritimes as well. So I, I, I kid around. But yeah. But listen, they, the fact is, there are still party lines out there in PEI. Okay. There's still party. If you don't know what a party line is, Absolutely. go look that up and be like, oh my God. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's go back to the actual question here, which is the Dallas Stars and the, and the Colorado Avalanche. So I'm going to throw this over to you. Um, let's talk about that goal review. So, Marco, any thoughts I on hate that goal, goal review? Reviews. I'm. <laughs> You know my opinion on this. Uh, it ruins the game. Uh, the call on the ice should stand. It, it, honestly, you put way too much influence on the way that refs... Like, I understand the accountability. I understand they want to make the right call. But at the same time, no one's ever going to agree with the right call. Like, it's the playoffs. Even if logic is sitting in the face of fandom, no one's going to give a shit. They're going to root for their team. I apologize, but... This is the way. I think that anybody who would have seen that goal review that isn't a fan of Montreal, uh, that isn't a fan of the Avalanche, would have been like, yeah. But I agree. I look, it's it's part of the game now, and there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe we should just jump back to the beginning of this series, which was Game One, which had the five three. What a rock and roll game that was! Five uh, three win for the Stars. I'm gonna throw it over to you, Adam. There were some injuries here, and that that kind of is a huge Jeez, part of the story bad. for this playoffs. It, it's yeah, yeah. So Colorado lost their starting goalie in Grubauer. I can relate. In, yeah, which I was know how that feels. It was kind of a freak injury. He just like fell down and couldn't get up at, at all. And they also lost Eric Johnson uh, a, a bit afterwards. And what can you say? The stars just kept rolling. They're they're playing. They're also they're playing Kudobin at the moment, which is odd. I don't know if Bishop is just unfit to play or is, if they're just rolling with Kudobin at this point. Uh, but they just scored five. I, I think they scored five unanswered, if I'm not mistaken, right in game one. Yeah, something like one, that. Yeah, it was brutal. Which is just brutal. Crazy. 
That, like we talk about the Colorado Avalanche and their depth at forward, right? And we're starting to see that defensively, they're not exactly as hot as they're made out to be when Eric Johnson's not in the lineup, right? Because he's their where's where's Eric that support? Johnson where's... and and um, Samuel Girard are their two best defensive defensemen. Makar is not is being made to look silly defensively uh, versus a team like this. Just as Quinn Hughes was made silly, made to look silly versus Vegas uh, in Game One as well. Uh, the difference is that they adjusted the game plan. I don't feel like Van- uh, that Colorado adjusted anything. Uh, and again, this speaks to the lack of organizational depth when it comes to goalie. And again, as a Canadians fan, I feel you. But it ultimately comes down to if uh, if you have if you don't have Nathan McKinnon going God mode and completely taking over a game, we see now that the team defense overall cannot stand against a more mature team in Dallas. Why? These guys have Rupe Heinz on their third line. That's ridiculous. He should be on any team's second line right now uh, and dominating. So you have Heinz, Gurianov, uh, Perry, uh, Pavelski. Radilov is finally heating up after what I believe to be a horrendous season. So all these guys are peaking at the right time. And I feel like all of Colorado's secondary scoring is still playing Arizona somewhere in their dreams. So you just got to... You gotta, you gotta come in hard. Game three is the most important game for me. I think that if they do not win the next game, this series is over. And to be fair, McKinnon scored two goals, added an assist. He's doing it. He got three points in the first game. He's 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 the only one, right? It's the McKinnon show. And if anybody needs to ask the question, who's the second best player in the NHL? Nate McKinnon. (laughs) Yeah, he is the Colorado Avalanche. He is legit. He's he is the deal. He is one hundred percent the real deal. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah. I just don't know. It's just, yeah, it's exactly. The it's unfortunate. To, That's exactly what the right word is. How good Miro Heiskanen is, not just offensively, but defensively. This guy is shutting down a lot of the Colorado Avalanche, not just Nathan McKinnon, who you can try. You could, you, you like, you will fail. You can try. Uh, but everybody else, like, he's been monstrous versus, you know, matching up versus Kadri on the power plays or, or at five on five, uh, really good at cutting off the transition. Um, the zone entries are extremely difficult on his side, I find. So really coming to his own as the team's unquestioned number one defenseman. Sorry, John Klimberg. Uh, but it, it is bringing to the forefront that when your defense peaks and is able to play a shutdown game whilst providing you hype and transitional offense, that's when you're going to win hockey games, and that's what Dallas does. That's what Jim Montgomery was is or was good for uh, in instituting into these players before he left it was this transitional dominance. Because let's not forget, if you factor out the first 10, 15 games of the season for Dallas, they were one of the best teams in the NHL, if not the best team in the NHL before the pause. So I feel like this is more of the same, uh, but they are getting good goaltending from Kudubin, so props to him. He's going to get a massive contract next summer, let me tell you. So that game takes place tonight in Edmonton, and we will be watching with bated breath because this is really mm-hmm. a do-or-die moment, as we've all sort of brought up here over and over again. Um, it is the McKinnon show, but unfortunately he's on the wrong side of the ice, unfortunately, for this perhaps series. Fans. How much do you want to bet that if Colorado does get eliminated by Dallas in adamant like fashion that Sakic circle back, circles back to Bergevin for whatever trade they were talking about at trade deadline. Because <laughs> he didn't, Bergevin didn't go to Colorado to see his daughter for three days 
right before trade deadline, and he was in a lodge with Sakic. So I feel like if they disappoint to a degree, I think we might have we might see a revisit on that end. These are two teams with a lot of cap space. All right. So from cap space, let's go to the Bruins and the Lightning. Uh, already two series, two uh, games deep, but it's a tied series, one all. Everybody, first game going three two to uh, the Bruins and four three to the Tampa Bay Lightning. After that. Quite the series, and now Game 3 taking place tonight at Scotiabank. Uh, that's 8 p.m. Eastern start. Stamkos, still out. That's and really Tampa's the key thing that we have to say. <laughs> incredible <Tampa's> still- depth. <laughs> Just incredible depth. Like, Jesus. Like, Braden Point was on fire yesterday. Just that, that, that whole play along the boards, that shifty waterbug-esque, just like edge work that he was doing along the boards to get the puck to Kucherov. Like, wow. I mean, isn't his numbers so far? He's like, he's got uh, five goals, six assists, and like 11 points yeah, overall like, so far. This playoff them series game winning goals, man. Wow. Or like, yeah, I mean, or, of course, just right. like tying, just clutch play by Braden point clutch play. And I, I, I still, to this day, like, I don't understand how a W like he led the WHL in this draft year and still went in the third round. Cause they were afraid of his size. Like, I just don't get it. This guy is just so tough, so rough, and he doesn't care. What's going to be... It's not Stamkos' injury that... And I'm going to throw this to Adam. It's not Stamkos' injury that worries me long-term. In fact, now that Pasternak's back for the Bruins, what scares me is that McDonough was out last game and could be out again the next game. And that Mm -hmm. is a big deal. Because my honest opinion, not so fundamentally sure that Sergachev is ready to face the top six or top line of Boston night in, night out. So, you know, what what were the adjustments that were made? I don't know if you watched the game, Adam, but, like, I think it was a masterclass defensive, you know, performance from Hedman. Uh, and you really also had a guy uh, like Bogosian step up, step up last night. Yeah, I have to agree. Yeah, I mean, you, so you have, uh, without McDonough, who's been eating much of the minutes against top lines, opposing top lines he's hungry for minutes um i mean once again you're talking about depth you're talking about when both are in the lineup in headman and mcdonough you have headman just carrying the load offense offensively uh you have more space for all the other offensive defensemen in uh in sergachev and all the other ones uh but yeah mcdonough without mcdonough i see once again you see headman just logging even more minutes and I think it's going to hurt them long term, especially if the that Bruins top six keeps on rolling as they did. Uh, as for Tampa Bay, I I want to just bring up one key player I, I saw, especially in game two, Blake Coleman. Yep, who's playing arguably a a supporting role on what a third line is at the moment. Yeah, and he was kind of the guy in in New Jersey before he was traded, right? He was a scoring machine. Now he's playing on a third line, which again comes to show they have so much depth. And yeah, I think they're just going to keep on rolling. Yeah, I think Goudreau and uh, and and Coleman have been solid value adds for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, were they necessarily worth the price they paid for them? Debatable, but I think they've been key value adds for the team nonetheless, uh, and guys that they're going to be able to keep until next year. So that's that's going to come in big time handy. Uh, I think this is going to be the tightest of all the series, to be completely honest with you. I think this is ridiculous. 
Um, and it's going to be incredible how the tone is going to change once we move to the Flyers and Islanders because this game is running gun nonstop high tempo hockey. Uh, and then we're going to go to the snooze fest on the other side. Uh, is there anything else we should add, mention uh, throughout this series before we jump to the next one? I think that it's it's going to come down to, and this is such a hockey cliche, I think it's going to come down to whose top six is going to remain the most consistent and the most responsible. Uh, I see, I saw a lot of mistakes yesterday being made by the second line in Boston, not so much the first. The perfection line is called the perfection line for a reason. Um, but where I think I'm, where I think I need to see is will Anthony Sorelli's line, the second line, surpass themselves like they did last night? Because I honestly felt like Andre Pilat had a great game as well. Uh, so I think Sorelli is being asked to play a top six role right now. Uh, he's up for a new contract. Uh, I think he has a lot to play for that he'd stay with Tampa Bay or be traded into a top six role. So I would keep an eye out for Sorelli. And also last point, can Halak play up to Vasilevsky's game? He's been good so far. It's been one goal games for the first two games of the series. Mm. We'll, we'll see. I don't um, think either goal has been great, to be honest. The goals that they have let in have been complete softies for me. Yeah, but still one goal games. We'll see if one breaks. I mean... Vasilevsky, we know he's solid, especially in playoffs this year. Uh, let's see if Alec can, uh, can, keep can up. carry it up. Yeah. So let's jump to a series that it definitely does not feature one goal games, and that is the Canucks and Sweet the Golden boy. Knights. Vancouver facing off versus Las Vegas. We had quite the route in the first game, a 5 nothing win for the Golden Knights, uh, which was really a, quite a shock, I think, to a lot of people. And then... 5-2 to the Canucks the next game. So it's a one-all mm. series tied. Uh, quite a crazy game. Markstrom just pulling out the backstops there. Uh, not to mention getting aided by so many different block shots uh, that were the Canucks were putting up there. I'm going to throw it over to you, Marco. What, was, uh, what, what do you think of the two things that we should take away from this? Obviously, the mental toughness that yeah, Jacob, think, Markstrom Jacob Markstrom has shown in the series. Jacob Markstrom the star. I think he established himself as the better goaltender uh, between the two that game, game two. Uh, I felt like game one, he was kind of mm. left out to dry. Um... But for me, the real star of this game was not Markstrom. Uh, the real star of this game uh, was the king of Tyler. Sweden himself. And I'm not talking about Henrik Lundqvist. I'm talking about his successor, Elias Pettersson. Because Pettersson. sweet God, the first goal on Tyler Toffoli, like the, the setup on Tyler Toffoli, the entry of the zone. Like Quinn Hughes has an assist on the first goal. And you do not see him for the 30 seconds leading up to the goal. Why? Because Elias Pettersson takes the puck from the neutral zone, does... Goes for a ride around the defensive zone, comes back around and makes a no, like a borderline no look pass to a completely un, un, uh, un, you know, left alone Tyler Toffoli who just has a tap in. He has uh, an empty net. Not, not bad for a guy called yeah, a little squirt, just, right? <laughs> not, not, not bad. Good response. I mean, to that look, they called him a little squirt, but it's an internal joke because they all, everyone was always said that he was too small to play in the NHL. That's why he dropped to fifth overall. One thing that I will add though. Uh, is the inclusion of Tyler Toffoli within the lineup now that he is healthy. Tyler Toffoli is going to make so much money this summer or this offseason if he continues this play and he continues to play with Pedersen. I will tell you this and I'm telling you now, they will move mountains to make sure that he stays in Vancouver. They're even going to probably move Besser to make sure he stays in Vancouver because he just has that that style, that chemistry. The one thing I will add from a defensive standpoint is I'm still not sold on Quinn Hughes defensively uh, in the playoffs. Now, obviously, Vancouver Canucks fans are going to kill me 
analytics fans are going to be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Look at his, look at his Corsi, look at his save percentage uh, or his, um, his zone exit percentage. I don't care. All I care about is how often he gets pinned into his zone and how easily bigger teams are able to get him, get the puck away from him. Where Quinn Hughes is excellent is puck retrieval. So he's, he's good at trying to correct his mistakes, but ultimately that kind of luck is going to run out in key tight games. And we've seen it in game one where he made mistakes, popped up the puck, turnover, score. So it happens. He's a young defenseman. Uh, but again, you know, this is what Vegas will be looking to take advantage of. I think that this is not a worry for the Canucks fans moving forward because he's obviously going to get better. But in 2020, this is something to watch out for, uh, especially now that Tyler Myers is out. And you, 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 you arguably you see the first time in in Hughes's career he's getting that much pressure. Yeah, and you see Vegas; they're just big forwards coming at you real quick. And I mean, from my standpoint, from the games I, I I've seen from uh, from Hughes this year, it's the first time I see him overwhelmed and not always having the time to make his play like he did before. Agreed. And that's what I've always said about offensive defensemen that come in. Same thing that happened to Shane Goss's bear. Uh, and I think Quinn Hughes is a much better defenseman than, than, than Goss's bear. So people don't kill me. All I'm saying is Goss's bear broke a goals per game record as a rookie coming in. Like he broke Brian Leach's rookie record. Um, and he can't even get on. Like once the book was out on him, uh, it'd be the usage for the player was different. And I feel like once the book is out on Quinn Hughes, that that's how you that's how you attack him. He will have to adjust his game to be successful, and I personally believe he will, and that'll make him a better overall defenseman. But in this series, Luke Tuck is absolutely killing him in terms of getting to the puck first. That's the thing they dump on him. He's not necessarily the fastest on lateral movements, which they know, so they'll go and attack that. That being said, is he by far the best defenseman on this team? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think. Well, he keeps stepping past Shea Theodore, right? I mean, at what point? What can Shea he say? Theodore at this point? is to me what, another expansion steal. Uh, Bob Murray should be fired on the spot as GM of the Anaheim Ducks for allowing him to leave because Clayton Stoner needed to leave, even though they just decided to take a first round pick for Backus's contract from Boston. So, like, clearly they didn't need to get rid of him. Uh, and they certainly didn't need to get rid of Clayton Stoner. Uh, they, they certainly didn't need to, to incentivize taking Clayton Stoner with Shea Theodore. Now, how has Shea Theodore evolved as a defenseman? He's gotten stronger. He's gotten faster. They use him to his strengths. The transition is key now for Vegas, as opposed to the dump and chase that they were doing in 2017. Uh, if you look at players and how the defensemen get uh, support the attack, Shea Theodore is always supporting the attack. He's always supporting the transition. He's coming in as the fourth man. So he's far more successful, I find, and he's by far the number one defenseman for Vegas. I don't like Adam. Can you can have you noticed another defenseman really stick out for for Vegas for you other than Theodore? Not really. They're all big defensemen, but like as soon as you 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 cross the red line and you're going into the offensive zone, it's he's the only player, only defenseman you you noticed, even if in his own zone he's very very solid as you said so no he's he's the guy for vegas for sure i still can't believe they decided to sh trade shea theodore and keep brandon montour i st i who's not on the anaheim, team anymore anaheim 
Oh my god! Again, I still yeah. don't understand how Bob. What yeah, are I, you I doing? How, how do you have? Yeah, how do you have I a don't job? How Murray still has his job in Anaheim, but that's what happens when you play with no consequences in in you know in in, in Southern California, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, don't forget there's there's been a lot of success with that franchise. So it's hard to sort of reevaluate once you've had that success. You kind of you were like, well, do I pivot? Do I change immediately? There's some clubs that are really really quick about and changing you things as soon as they. <laughs> we, we're gonna get we're gonna right, right before um, we, we switch series we i think we have to talk about uh the goaltending battle right so leonard, leonard so like the one sh- like, like between the two teams or within the vegas golden knights i mean both i mean you see you see leonard just posting a, a, a shutout in the first game five zero right right don't stick a knife in my, walsh don't tweeted, stick a sword yeah. in my back i apologize after that walsh tweet and he posts a shutout right what a dumb tweet but then, yeah, I mean, do we want to get into that? Or? The fact that his player had to... F- yes, we do. Yeah. We have a couple seconds. Might as well. <sighs> Look, I understand player agents. It's important. This is the biggest shit disturbing player agent in the entire NHL. This is the guy who started a free Halak Twitter handle uh, in St. <laughs> Louis. This is the guy who told Jonathan Drouin to go home when Tampa Bay didn't want to play him because he was going to lose out on $2 million of playing bonuses. This is the guy who made Max Pacioretty strut his strut in Montreal after demanding a trade and then making it seem like Bergevin was the one that was trying to move him unfairly. He is the master. He understands how the media works. Sounds to me he's like an he's agent. an agent. He's a master. Like that's- it's just people look at that and don't contextualize or don't understand what he's trying to do. Am I absolving him of blame? Absolutely not. I think he deserves more based on his reputation. But what, what needs to be said here is that was extremely immature. That was dumb. He shouldn't be making messages like that about Vegas, considering Vegas handsomely uh, extended his client far more money than I thought he was worth. Um, so no, this, he, this client has guaranteed money. He's going to get his playing time if Leonard doesn't work. And quite frankly, the reason why Leonard is the number one goalie is because his client couldn't couldn't handle it, could not handle it during the regular season. And that's as simple and- as that. Do you see him? Do you see Flurry getting the third game though? That's the thing. So Leonard gets a so. shutout in game one. I really one. think so. I think he they gives have up no five choice. Goals. Yeah, yeah. So Flurry gets be fun. Game I think three. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, I'd be happy if Flurry came in, but not because his agent decided to be a douchebag. Fair enough. Yeah. So let's jump back to the Eastern Conference now and talk about the New York Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, they're oh, first of all, I should say they're they're playing at three p.m. today, Eastern. Yeah, an so, afternoon uh, game again. So, I haven't had yay, that. In a week. Who doesn't like the? It's been nice though. But I, I, prefer, I you know I prefer breakfast hockey. That's then just me. I just like England. breakfast hockey. <laughs> <laughs> no, should I be moved? No, I should be heading out no, west. I can do right? both. Uh, okay, uh, but anyway, time zones are a thing. So, but uh, let's talk about the Philadelphia Flyers and of course uh, the. <laughs> Um, the New York Islanders. So I think this is quite the series. We're heading into game two. I mean, Islanders could explode in that first game with a 4 nothing win. What, what do we say next? I'll throw this you over to Adam first, actually, open up yeah. this time. The Flyers fans know how I feel. Yeah. Honestly, I don't have much to say about this series. Um, 4-0. I mean, I think that's how it's going to be all the series along. I think the Islanders are coming... They're going to come out on top in the end. Um, I mean, you saw Varlamov just continue to, to, to win like like he did all playoff long. Um, the Flyers, man, I 
I don't see them scoring. I don't know how they're going to do the score. Even against Montreal, they had, what, 11 goals in the whole series? We almost doubled their goal total and, and still lost, right? Which is... I mean, Van Vinsdijk is predicted to be coming back into the lineup after being a uh, scratch in game one, but he hasn't had a very good postseason Honestly, so far. I think their best player at forward so far has been Kevin Hayes by a, a country mile. And then I'd argue that Joel Farabi has, has been a solid contributor for them as well, really getting high danger chances. So that's that line, yep. that, that second line Absolutely. awesomeness, right? Um, the Flyers really had a good game versus the Canadians in game five. Their top line, the Voracek, Giroux, Couturier line. But really, like, they, they, I don't, like, they've been completely invisible to me the entire playoffs. The entirety of the play, the uh, round robin play ins, playoffs, just not there. They're being carried by their number two center, uh, a really good goalie, and some solid team defense led by Ivan Provorov. So, you know, to me, they have a chance as long as their first line wakes up. Uh, but if Barry Trotz has any say in this whatsoever, he's going to put some sleeping pills on that top line in the form of Gabriel Pajot, uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot's third line. Uh, and as we've seen, Jean-Gabriel Pajot has been a playoff warrior as advertised. Yeah, I just, and... I don't think they have the depth to keep up. I really don't. I think Derek Grant and Nate Thompson as third and fourth line centers, when you match up against the depth of the New York Islanders, especially the New York Islanders, like mythical fourth line there. Um, I just, I don't see it. I really don't. I think the, Flyers may win a game or two, but I still stand by the fact that I think the Islanders will win this in six, five and or six. So you don't, you don't think that Van Riemsdyk, this is a yeah. question for both of you guys, you don't think that Van Riemsdyk or, for example, um, uh, Robert Hag is expected to be in the lineup after um, um, a bunch of the defensemen were minus two <laughs> on the night on Monday. Uh, you don't think that this no. makes a difference? I'll let no. Adam finish, but I'll elaborate. I mean, I mean it could be as simple no, as answer as no. I, I, mean, I like the Flyers. I think they're heading in the right direction, organizationally speaking. I think they have a great prospect pool, uh, but I think they're going to have series. And you have Carter Hi- they, Hart they between the, the, and the pipes. Price I mean, like, he sh- like it's, it's there. They're just not doing it. And I think that's the issue. Uh, and I think these are underlying issues that the Flyers organization has had with these top players dating back four or five, six years. Uh, but Adam, I, I, you know, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. I'll, I'll circle back. But I just feel like, to me, the Islanders are just built to beat teams like, like Flyers. And I, I, I think, yeah, without their top line, the Flyers, they, they don't stand a chance. It's kind of deceiving because they were, a lot of people were seeing them get out of the, the East, right, at the beginning of playoffs. Mm-hmm. And now I think we're just going to see the Islanders be the sneakiest team in those playoffs and just get to conference finals, which is without ironic. anyone talking about them. It's really. ironic, but to be fair, like I mean, they're, they're, they would deserve their place in the, the conference Islanders. finals after this. Even if I need the Islanders yeah. to get to the conference finals, Ottawa owns their first round <laughs> pick. Can you imagine how pissed Sense fans are going to be when they initially thought they were going to get three top fifteen picks, and now they're going to get two top five picks, which is still like phenomenal and franchise changing. And then the other one's like twenty eighth. That would be friggin' that would be beautiful. I think that would be great. I think most sense fans would take that trade though if you if you're offering two three top 10, 15s or now you have two guaranteed yeah, fives. Yeah, three top 15s and then a, with like a maximum of them being f- like 3 and 5. So they got the worst case scenario on the top end and they be, might be getting the worst case scenario on the bottom one too. I find it hilarious. 
I mean, it's, it's the life of a sense I fan. wish them well. I honestly think they're going to, I think they have a great draft. And if we follow my mock draft to any degree, I think they're going to look, they're going to come out really well out of this draft. Which conveniently brings us to our next and final point of the show. Uh, we're going to bring up, obviously, the NHL post-lottery NHL mock draft. The 2021 has just been posted yesterday by Marco. You can check out that at scribbageandstats.com. Go check it. Save your money. You don't have to buy the black book. You can go and watch, read this directly, and you'll have a better version in the black book. No disrespect to the guys at Hockey Experts. You guys are wonderful, but uh, Marco stuff is amazing. So, uh, obviously, no surprises uh, at the top. Lafreniere, obviously, in the number one here, but there are some crazy ideas and thoughts here. So, I'm going to throw it over to you, Adam, because you had some great impressions that we were talking off air, and uh, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the article a little bit. Yeah, so, I think a no-brainer. I I mean, Marco, how do you want to tackle your article, actually, since you wrote it? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we can go through the order and you can tell me what surprises you the most. Yeah. I, okay. So first, first of all, uh, Lafrenade at first, I think is a no brainer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you stated, I think you could have made the argument at the beginning of the season that if perhaps Byfield had a great season, considering they're 11 months apart, that perhaps he would be a fit. And ironically enough, I think Byfield is a better fit for the New York Rangers organization who yeah. would then have like a subsequent heir to Mika Zibanejad in case he prices himself out of New York in two years. But you cannot pass on Lafreniere. Do I think he's a generational can't-miss talent? No. I think he's an elite talent, an elite can't-miss talent, a an NHL all-star in the making, someone in the vicinity of a Patrick Kane, but just not a Crosby, Ovechkin, McDavid type guy, you know? So yeah, I, th- I, I still think he's one of the best first round, first overall picks of the decade. Not even with that World Junior performance. I mean, that he, World Junior performance really set him. Made that performance where at the everyone age of kind of went on his second try, right? Like, and injured, well, right? Yes, but so was Brad Hayton. Uh, and the team that they were playing against wasn't exactly the best. I thought Team Russia was really bad. But ultimately, you don't make a career with World Junior Championship performances. We know this. Um, Ryan Paling is was the MVP the year prior and was got, you know, very little points in, in Laval or in Montreal uh, when he, when it was his turn. So to me, I think it was a great performance from Lafreniere. I'm still not sold on Lafreniere because again, he was two weeks. If he would have been born two weeks earlier, he would have been in last year's draft, probably still would have gone first overall, but I think we'd be looking at things differently uh, because if you look at his stats, it's his third year in the queue. Um, and again, not Crosby or McDavid numbers. Um, and again, it's it's the numbers, right? He'd have six game, six point games, one game, uh, go on a three point uh, game stretch with no points, another six point game, the next game. Like he would prey on weak QMJHL teams mostly to get all those high end points. But when he would play the best teams, like like a Drummondville at the time uh, or like a Moncton, that's when he would struggle because they would check him hard. They would check him in a way where he'd have to surpass himself. And we saw him do it at the World Junior Championships, but it wasn't always the case. I think and he's going to be great. Great. Phenomenal. Excellent. Elite. I just don't think that he's going to be the top five players of his generation. Period. No, and I, I really like the fact that you pointed out he could be similar to Uberdo. I think and just a smidge above. But I mean, but like still, you have Uberdo at 90 points, 90-ish points and stuff. Yeah, but that's he's not McDavid out. level, but that's he's popping yeah. out, right? Exactly. And he's playing so with I, Barkov and he's got excellent usage of time. Yeah, I like oh. the comparison for sure. So number two, um, this is where things get fun. The LA Kings have a tough decision on their hands because I feel like it's a two-headed monster at number two. 
Uh, I personally believe they would go for a guy by the name of Tim Stutzle from Germany. Now, people are going to be like, why not Quentin Byfield? Uh, Quentin Byfield is big, six foot four, playmaking center. A lot of people will compare him to a Kopitar or a Malkin. Uh, I don't think he's as physical as either. Uh, I think he's six four, uses his speed and his size to his advantage in junior. But I feel like Tim Stutzle has been playing against men for two years now. Far more physical, quicker. Uh, speed of execution is high. His vision is excellent. Uh, I feel like his goal scoring could be worked on a little bit, worked on his shot, but that comes with strength. Um, and I also his versatility. Stutzler can play all three forward positions, which if you look at uh, the players that LA has drafted over the last little while or, or traded for, Tyler Madden, uh, Alex Turcott, Gabe Velarde is healthy now. Um there's a ton of guys. There's a ton, ton, ton of guys in their forward prospect pool that can play center. And I just feel like if they bring in a guy that can play center and all other positions, it gives them that flexibility along with his talent, which in my opinion is about on par with Byfield. So what does that mean for sense fans? That means that in my opinion, y'all actually want the lottery because the biggest need right now in Ottawa is a first line center. And I believe they get it. Uh, I also believe that they would send Quentin Byfield back to junior after drafting him simply because I think he's the rawest of the, of the top three prospects. Uh, he plays a similar game to, to, uh, uh, an Evgeny Malkin where he's a big body, uses speed, good edge work, and, and a, a long reach with stick to, to get into zones at full speed, make blazingly good plays. But where Quentin Byfield tends to struggle is against players of equal skill or equal size. Uh, and the reason being is that a lot of players of equal size actually use their size to impose themselves, something that Byfield doesn't. Byfield is someone that can get knocked off the puck by a guy who's 5'9 by the name of Marco Rossi, who we're going to talk about later. So I think that might sway the decision, but ultimately in terms of pure potential, he is the best player available at number three. Yeah, I have to agree with two and three. Um, yeah, I think everybody is going to agree with one, two, and three. I think where yeah. it's going to get fun is four, five, six, seven. Yeah, so you had four. You had you actually had Cole Perfetti. I think we touched on that in uh, we did. previous episodes. I think so. Where yeah. he was a perfect fit for Detroit. We had Steve Eiserman, who knew him very well. Yeah, Saginaw not being um, too far from Detroit. Lots of viewings from from Eiserman. Exactly, um, and, and again, versatility could play center or a wing. Yeah, so I think yeah at four, I like that pick. Um, where it gets interesting for me actually was number five with Jake Sanderson. Yeah, so a lot of people are going to be like, why not Jamie Drysdale? Uh, or why not um, the other forward that's been linked to the Senators who's coming right after this uh, in Lucas Raymond? And the reason being is the the depth at wing in Ottawa is already known. They have elite prospects, uh, in uh, an elite prospect in Brady Kachuk. They have other guys coming in like Shane Pinto, um, Batherson, uh, Norris that could potentially be a number two uh, behind a byfield. So their forwards are set, but they, you, you know you can make the argument that perhaps they're also set on defense, seeing as they already have Shabbat, they've drafted nothing but right defensemen uh, moving forward, and they traded for Eric Branstrom from Vegas in the Mark Stone deal. The thing is, is that Eric Branstrom would rather play right than left, even though he's a lefty, and this is something that's been publicly put out there. So in my opinion, if Branstrom is the solution on the right-hand side, play with Shabbat long-term, then who better to anchor your second lo- uh, your second pairing than Jake Sanderson? This is a guy who projects in the Ryan McDonough, Mark Edward Vlasic range uh, and would be a can't-miss prospect. And that's if 
he doesn't achieve the next level offensively. Uh, so to me, the sky's the limit with Jake Sanderson, who is the youngest player in the top 10 right now. By far. I think he's born in uh, July or August. So yeah. that rounded up the top five. And then this is where it became fun. Uh, I think at Anaheim, uh, number six, uh, the no-brainer for me at this point is Lucas Raymond. Uh, they drafted Trevor Zegers last year. They already have a pretty solid, mature defense. And they already have another first-round pick from Boston in the late first round. So they could potentially pick a defenseman then. But I feel like here, at this opportunity, you take the can't-miss forward. You take the guy who's going to be a one-two punch moving forward with Trevor Zegers. I think Lucas Raymond is going to have a big season. He put on massive amount. He put on, uh, I believe, 10 pounds of weight over the summer. Uh, and I think he's primed for a big season uh, right now in Falunda in the SHL. Yeah. And then it brings us to the New Jersey Devil, where yeah. you had Jamie Drysdale. Finally, I, Jamie Drysdale, right? I think so. I, look, I think Jamie Drysdale has holes in his game. I don't think he's as good defensively as many people make him out to be, especially when you isolate his contributions for the Erie Otters. I think offensively, he's going to be a great defenseman, but I think where he's going to dominate the game is transitional. He's going to be a neutral zone monster, uh, and I think that that's where you're going to have a guy... Uh, that is very attractive for the New Jersey Devils in that end because their right side is nowhere near now as deep as their left side uh, after the Taylor Hall trade and drafting Ty Smith. So having a first, you know, moving forward, having a pairing of Ty Smith and Jamie Drysdale is a very, very attractive notion for the New Jersey Devils. And they already have picks 19 and if uh, Vancouver gets eliminated, uh, 18, sorry, and potentially 20 uh, if Vancouver gets eliminated, uh, where they can go ahead and still draft a very competent, potentially top six forward at that point. So I feel like you take the best right defenseman in the draft uh, and you run with it because that is a very difficult position to fill. And I feel like it would jumpstart their rebuild uh, because they'd have a core that could lead them into the next generation in a flat cap. Yeah. And then, so you have Drysdale. Then you have Buffalo Sabres drafting Alexander Holtz. Yes. Ooh, so a lot you of mentioned people had the best wrist shot in this draft, right? I think so. I think he's got the best. He's the best pure scorer in this draft. A lot of people will point to Jack Quinn. I think Jack Quinn is the best overall scorer in this draft, not because of the quality of shot, but because he can do other things other than score. I feel like Alex Holtz is going to be more of that, like uh, that top end goal scorer. He reminds me a lot of a Philip Forsberg in that sense, uh, but not necessarily the the the, the, the two way acumen that a Philip Forsberg has. Uh, he can score from literally anywhere, like one-timer, wrist shot, slap shot, uh, in tight deflections. He's just got a nose for the net. Uh, decently good size, probably going to get bigger. And I feel like what this does is it allows Dylan Cousins to come in as your second-line center, and then you can slot in a guy who can play either left wing or right wing anywhere in your top six. So suddenly, you have Victor Olofsson, Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, then you have Dylan Cousins, Sam Reinhart, and... Alex Holtz. That's a very dangerous top six moving forward, and they're all locked in long-term either because they're restricted free agents or they've signed long-term contracts. Unless, of course, Reinhardt is traded this summer. Ultimately, I think this is the move to make for them because they drafted the big hulking center last year in Dylan Cousins, uh, I believe, seventh overall. And so, this is why I think this would fit for them here. But then, it makes a very good player slide to Minnesota, uh, and I'm pulling for them to get this exact player. So at nine, you have Minnesota drafting Rossi, Marco Rossi, who absolutely dominated with the 67s, the Ottawa Exactly, 67s, the Ottawa right? 67s, who to me were the best team in all of Canadian Major Junior. Um, 
I, I've been following Marco Rossi for two years now. I fell in love with the player in the playoffs last year in the OHL playoffs, watching Nick Suzuki's uh, Guelph Storm play against the Ottawa 67s. I thought he was great for a 17-year-old then. I think he's fantastic as an 18-year-old now. But as we've seen, there are a lot of Western Conference teams uh, in the five to, in, you know, five, six, seven. Uh, I don't think Ottawa would necessarily go and pick Rossi, even though he's from their backyard. I think they want a big guy. Uh, they're trying to build an identity of big players. Um, I don't think Anaheim goes for him since they already took Trevor Zegers last year. Uh, and the fact that uh, the New Jersey Devils have their top six centers lined up for the next 15 years and he's here and Hughes, uh, I think it, the obvious choice made here would have been a guy like uh, like Rossi for a team that's desperately looking for the number one center moving forward. I think they got one, and I think that Rossi is very likely to jump into the lineup as soon as camp starts in the 2020-21 season. Plays a very gritty game, similar skills to a a, a Brad Marchand, um, but he's going to be primarily a playmaker. Yeah. Then you have Lundell at 10 for the Jets, which is, I really like uh, you slotting him right at number two behind Mark Shifley. Yeah. Um, um, this is a guy who's already got an A on his jersey for his team in, in, in Liga. Um If it weren't for the weirdness of COVID, uh, he could have potentially started in training camp for the Jets right away. Uh, but I, because of the weirdness of contracts and, uh, you know, the rule about signing uh, European players before July 15th after the draft, uh, they might have to wait till the end of the season uh, in Liga. So approximately March, April for Lundell to come over or they can just wait until 2021, 2022 altogether. But what you're getting is a guy that plays a game similar to Miko Koivu. I think he's going to be a 60-point center in this league, an exceptional two-way play. Uh, 20-goal score minimum, in my opinion. He's got a great shot. Uh, a lot of people question his offense. I am not one of those people. Uh, I know how difficult it is to score in Liga uh, when scouting Kakaniemi uh, and Kapokako. So patience on this guy. But I think Winnipeg Jets fans get their number two center for the next 10 years right there. Then you have Jack Quinn for the Predators. Uh, look, well, it fits you the mentioned... Predators. Yeah, you didn't mention... the Predators. They, they're a big team that doesn't have much goal scoring going on. Their top offensive players not really giving them what they want, even though they're being paid very well. Um, And he scored I, yeah. 50, 52 goals this season, right? Best five-on-five yeah. scorer. Even better than Nick Robertson dodging, dodging for... For tomatoes from Leaf fans right now, but <laughs> even better than Nick Robertson at five on five, even though they're, I think, a month uh, difference in age. I think Robertson's a very young uh, 2001 born, and I feel like uh, Jack Quinn is a late 2001 born as well. So not much separating the two, but I still think he's the, he's the best goal scorer in major junior, uh, and he would be an ideal pick for them uh, to really jumpstart offense on the wings. And it gives them opportunity to then, you know, look into potentially trading one of these uh, excess forwards moving forward. Then you have uh, then you have Caden Gooley at at twelve for the Panthers. Yeah, um, which Kaden yeah Gould, makes sense. Former, former first overall pick in the WHL Banton draft uh, for Prince Albert. I thought he was a great player uh, when uh, <laughs> when Cole Fonstad was playing for them last year. I really really got to like him. Uh, I wouldn't say that he's got like top end offensive potential, but he's a great uh, Jacob Slavin style clone for me. Like he's just a guy that's going to be able to impact the game in all three situations in all three zones. Uh, and if you looked at the Florida Panthers play over the last three years, them not picking a defenseman is borderline insane in this draft. And I would be willing to eat my hat if they go forward for this uh, forward 
or or non-defenseman for the sixth year in the row. The last time they picked a defenseman in the first round was first overall with Aaron Ekblad in 2014. I think it's long overdue, and I think they need that defenseman. I think Ghoul fits them. They don't need a right defenseman. They desperately need a left defenseman because Michael Matheson is falling out of favor and Keith Yandel isn't getting any younger. Yeah, and then at number 13, you have the first goalie to come out in Askarov for the... When the Hurricanes, right? Spencer Knight went out last year, uh, not by happenstance, but I feel like Carolina has everything in their prospect pool, everything except for a can't miss franchise goaltender. Uh, a lot of Carolina Hurricanes fans will be like, "Yeah, but what about Kachetkov?" Yes, but no, no, I would absolutely pick Askarov uh, over Kachetkov, no matter the style. And they also have another first round pick from from the Rangers uh, later on. Uh, that they will be able to utilize as well uh, to go and pick a forward. Uh, so I believe that he is the best player available at this rank. You must take him at this point. Uh, it just he fits all the it fits everything. The only thing that 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 would worry folks is that his two year contract in the KHL uh, means that he might not be able to play immediately. But I feel like after those two years in the KHL, playing against you know to me the second best league in the world. Uh, he would be ready to be a number one goalie right off the bat, right when Aho, Svechnikov, uh, Tara Vinen, uh, Ryan Suzuki all be jumping into the lineup uh, and being and playing top minutes. Yeah, and then you have the Oilers dra- drafting Amirov at number 14. Orion Amirov is a tricky pick. Uh, I hesitated with Seth Jarvis here. Uh, but then if you look at their right wing, uh, they already have a guy like Hiller Yamamoto. Uh, Dreisaitl plays right wing as well from time to time. Um, I really felt like, especially if they lose Ryan Nugent Hawkins to free agency, um, they can slot uh, Dreisaitl back in the 2C role, but I feel like they really lack a top-end uh, left winger uh, with grit that shows up when it counts and is very clutch, and I feel like that's where a guy like Amarov can come in. Also hesitated with uh, Dylan Holloway for the size factor uh, and the playmaking ability. But ultimately, I think Amarov has the most pure uh, talent. And at 15, you get Toronto getting their big right defenseman, the physical, rugged, mobile right defenseman they've been looking for uh, in Braden Schneider. Yeah, I I really enjoyed watching Braden Schneider in the WHL this year. I thought that at first I questioned his offensive ability, but as the season went on, Uh, I feel like this guy is going to get mad points for the Leafs, uh, and the Leafs are a big analytics team. His main offensive contributions is transition, and that's a huge thing for the Maple Leafs. He's also got a great point. Uh, he's got a great slap shot, uh, devious wrist shot, I must say. Uh, but he's such a hard hitter. I think of an actual right defenseman, Jake Muzzin, because uh, that's what you're going to get here. And I feel like that's. That's all the Leafs have been asking for for the last two and a half years is just to get a defenseman of that ilk. So again, if Kyle Dubas can turn Kapanen into Braden Schneider, uh, masterclass, well done, because I feel I don't think that they would have gotten a prospect of that ilk in a straight up trade for Kapanen. Um, bear in mind, he is physically ready. I think he's already 212 pounds. Um, so he's probably there uh, to make the Leafs. Uh, possibly as early as the 2021-2022 season uh, when the numbers are really going to start to crunch for the Leafs. And then Ideal. at 16, you get Montreal, who who picks Seth Jarvis, right? Yep, Seth Jarvis, man. I feel like that's an ideal Montreal pick. 
Uh, Mark Bergevin stated that the player that they probably wanted to take at nine is most likely going to be there at 16. Uh, And there are two of those players that I think he was referring to, and that is either uh, Dawson Mercer, who we're going to talk about right after, or Seth Jarvis for the Montreal Canadiens. Seth Jarvis plays a very high-tempo game. I think he was one of the best if not the best point performer in 2020, he really turned on the Jets in the second half. Uh, he pretty much led the uh, the Portland Winter Hawks by himself. I think he had a 2.3 points per game. He really plays with speed, edge, size is not an issue for this guy. He is a bulldog. Think Gallagher with skills, uh, honestly. Uh, he reminds me very much of Braden Point. And I see AJ's face looking at me. What do you mean Gallagher with skills? If you honestly think Gallagher has like hands <laughs> and skills, we have another thing to talk about. He's very good at being in front of the net. But if you were to throw in Thomas Tatar hands on Brendan Gallagher, he would be an elite, constant 40 goal, goal scorer. Uh, I honestly feel like Seth Jarvis has 60, 70 point potential. But again, some teams may be a little uh, pushed back because they need they have uh, other needs elsewhere in defense or goalie, or they might go for players with more size. And then at 17, you have, as stated, Mercer for uh, Chicago. Dawson Mercer reminds me of a Patrice Bergeron, uh, Ryan, uh, Nick Suzuki-style mold of player. Not the fastest player, but the smartest player on the ice. Uh, he was on pace for about 100 points when he was playing with Drummondville uh, and then went to the World Junior Championships and was eventually traded uh, to the Shikurumi Sagnins. Um, not really the best performance with Shikurumi, but then again, not many people do. Um We'll talk about Hendricks appear at another time, but that wasn't a very offensively gifted team uh, and they were weird to end the season. But ultimately what I did like about it was that Dawson Mercer fit a need. He would be ultimately their number two center moving forward behind Kirby Dak and could be slotted in on the right wing if they ever want to shorten the bench. Uh, very intelligent player, uh, very physical player. And I think this is a guy that Stan Bowman has been following a lot, especially from what I'm being told in Shikutami. Yeah, and then you have uh, New Jersey's second pick of the first round uh, in selecting Dylan Holloway. Yeah, I think Dylan Holloway, who played with Cole Caulfield, is an excellent player. I think he plays the game physical. Uh, he's already a big boy, played as a true freshman and was at a half point per game. Uh, we saw it with Ryan Paling. I think he's better offensively than Ryan Paling, but more of a playmaker. Uh, but I think he comes and really kind of rounds out the, the top nine for New Jersey, uh, really giving them size for what I believe is a very small core. And then lastly, you have a 19 for the Flames, Noel Gundler. Noel Gundler, for me, is uh, has a shot that resembles that of Elias Peterson. Uh, a lot of people are going to be like, well, why doesn't he go higher in that case? Uh, there's a lot of questions about his uh, attitude and the way he uh, is able to integrate within teams. Uh, I know there's been a lot of friction between him and Swedish hockey. Uh, all I'm going to say is I think he's a he's a prototypical big top six center, uh, top six winger, sorry. Um, and honestly, I don't see Calgary shying away from that, especially with the rumblings that they might be looking to move on from Johnny Gaudreau. I think that this guy comes in and really helps them iron out their top six moving forward uh, with Brady uh, Matthew Kachuk on the other side. There's going to be more to come, obviously. Uh, once the uh, second round is done, I think we'll, we'll have the first 27 teams as well. Uh, but we will do a full top 31 mock draft, potentially a top 62 mock draft after that, closer to the draft. So there you go, folks. Looking forward to it. Uh, you should set your bets now and you should be excited. These are all the new teams and names that you're going to be able to be excited over in the next 10, 15 years, right? Not everyone makes it to the top. Not everyone makes it, period. But it is quite the exciting time. It's the birth of the next generation of hockey players. So you're watching the little hatchling 
we emerge from their eggs. Enjoy. Uh, so let's go from there. Uh, that's it for the hockey flow this week. We gave you an action-packed episode. We covered everything and everything. So literally, you have capping it all the way to all the playoff breakdowns in the second round and all the way to this first night. Uh, excuse me. How many was it? It was uh, 18, right? <laughs> 19 something like that so yeah if you're listening uh hopefully you've made it to this part in which case thank you for listening to the hockey flow it's uh been an awesome business awesome ride and we're ho- glad to have you along for it so first of all gotta mention some things really adam b that's the twitter account for adam boucher you can check it out there don't be afraid to chirp him he'll chirp you back marco demica can be found at scrimmageandstats.com and at the hockey expert on twitter and he does plenty of chirping himself from whatever bench he decides to tweet from so take advantage he'll be happy to uh, go back and forth with you on whatever you think of the hockey world and myself aj we'll catch you guys next week